Chapter sixteen of the Story of Ab. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Christine Blashford. The Story of Ab by Stanley Waterloo. Chapter sixteen. The Feast of the Mammoth. To the right and left of the precipice, the fall to the plain below was more gradual, and with exultant yells the cave and shell-men rushed in either direction, those venturing nearest the sheer descent going down like monkeys, clinging as they went to shrubs and vines, while those who ran to where the drop was a degree more passable fairly tumbled downward to the plain. In an incredibly short space of time absolute silence prevailed in and about the grove where the scene had lately been so fiercely stirring. In the valley below there was wildest clamour. It was a great occasion for the human beings of the region. There was no question as to the value of the prize the hunters had secured. Never before in any joint hunting expedition, within the memory of the oldest present, had followed more satisfactory result. The spoil was well worth the great effort that had been made, in the estimation of the time, perhaps worth the death of the hunters who had been killed. The huge beast lay dead, close to the base of the cliff. One great yellow-white curved tusk had been snapped off and showed itself distinct upon the grass some feet away from the mountain of flesh so lately animated. The sight was one worth looking upon in any age, for, in point of grandeur of appearance, the mammoth, while not as huge as some of the monsters of reptilian times, had a looming impressiveness never surpassed by any beast on the earth's surface. Though prone and dead, he was impressive." But the cave and shell men were not so much impressed as they were delighted. They had come into possession of food in abundance, and there would be a feast of all the people of the region, and after that abundant meat in many a hut and cave for many a day. The hunters were noisy and excited. A group pounced upon the broken tusk, for a mammoth tusk, or a piece of one, was a prize in a cave dwelling, and there was prospect of a struggle, but grim voices checked the wrangle of those who had seized upon this portion of the spoil, and it was laid aside to be apportioned later. The feast was the thing to be considered now. Again swift-footed messengers ran along forest paths, and swam streams and thridded wooden thicket, this time to assemble not the hunters alone, but with them all members of households who could conveniently and safely come to the gathering of the morrow, when the feast of the mammoth would be on. The messengers dispatched, the great carcass was assailed, and keen flint knives, wielded by strong and skilful hands, were soon separating from the body the thick skin, which was divided as seemed best to the leaders of the gathering, Hilltop, the old hunter, for his special services, getting the chief award in the division. Then long slices of the meat were cut away, fires were built, the hunters ate to repletion, and afterward, with a few remaining awake as guards, slept the sleep of the healthy and fully fed. Not in these modern days would such preliminary consumption of food be counted wisest preparation for a feast on the morrow, but the cave and shell men were alike independent of affections of the stomach or the liver, and could, for days in sequence, gorge themselves most buoyantly. The morning came crisp and clear, and with the morning came from all directions swiftly moving men and women, elated and hungry and expectant. The first families and all other families of the region were gathering for the greatest social function of the time. The men of various households had already exerted themselves, and a score or two of fires were burning, while the odour of broiling meat was fragrant all about. Hunter-husbands met their broods, and there was banqueting, which increased as, hour after hour, new groups came in. The families of both Ab and Oak were among those early in the valley, beech-leaf and bark, wide-eyed and curious, coming upon the scene as a sort of advance guard, and proudly greeting Ab. 
All about was heard clucking talk and laughter, an occasional shout, and ever the cracking of stone upon the more fragile thing, as the monster's roasted bones were broken to secure the marrow in them. There was hilarity and universal enjoyment, though the assemblage, almost by instinct, divided itself into two groups. The cavemen and the shellmen, while at this time friendly, were, as has been indicated, unlike in many tastes and customs, and to an extent unlike in appearance. The caveman, accustomed to run like the deer along the forest ways, or to avoid sudden danger by swift upward clambering and swinging along among treetops, was leaner and more muscular than the shell-man, and had in his countenance a more daring and confident expression. The shell-man was shorter, and though brawny of build, less active of movement. He had spent more hours of each day of his life in his rude raft-boat, or in walking slowly with poised spear along creek-banks, or with bent back digging for the great luscious shellfish which made a portion of his food, than he had spent afoot and on land, with the smell of growing things in his nostrils. The flavour of the water was his, the flavour of the wood, the caveman's. So it was that at the feast of the mammoth the allies naturally and good-naturedly became somewhat grouped, each person according to his kind. When hunger was satisfied and the talking time came on, those with objects and impulses the same could compare notes most interestedly. Constantly the number of the feasters increased, and by midday there was a company of magnitude. Much meat was required to feed such a number, but there were tons of meat in a mammoth, enough to defy the immediate assaults of a much greater assemblage than this of exceedingly healthy people. And the smoke from the fires ascended, and these rugged ones ate and were happy. But there came a time in the afternoon when even such feasters as were assembled on this occasion became, in a measure, content, when this one and that one began to look about, and when what might be called the social amenities of the period began. Veterans flocked together, reminiscent of former days when another mammoth had been driven over this same cliff. The young grouped about different firesides, and there was talk of feats of strength and daring and an occasional friendly grapple. Slender, sinewy girls, who had girls' ways then as now, ate together and looked about coquettishly and safely, for none had come without their natural guardians. Rarely in the history of the cavemen had there been a gathering more generally and thoroughly festive, one where good eating had made more good fellowship. Possibly, for all things are relative, there has never occurred an affair of more social importance within the century since. Human beings, dangerous ones, were merry and trusting together, and the young looked at each other. Of course Ab and Oak had been eating in company, they had risked themselves dangerously in the battle on the cliff, had escaped injury, and were here now, young men of importance, each endowed with an appetite corresponding with the physical exertion of which he was capable, and which he never hesitated to make. The amount either of those young men had eaten was sufficient to make a gourmand, though of grossest Roman times, fairly sick with envy, and they were still eating, though it must be confessed, with modified enthusiasm. Each held in his hand a smoking lump of flesh from some favoured portion of the mammoth, and each rent away an occasional mouthful with much content. Suddenly, Ab ceased mastication and stood silent, gazing intently at a not unpleasing object a few yards distant. Two girls stood together near a fire, about which were grouped perhaps a dozen people. The two were eating, not voraciously, but with an apparent degree of interest in what they were doing, for they had not been among the early arrivals. It was upon these two that Ab's wandering glance had fallen and had been held, and it was not surprising that he had become so interested. Either of the couple was fitted to attract attention, though a pair more utterly unlike it would be difficult to imagine. One was slight and the other the very reverse, but each had striking characteristics." 
They stood there, the two, just as two girls so often stand to-day, the hand of one laid half-caressingly upon the hip of the other. The beaming broad one was chattering volubly, and the slender one listening carelessly. The talking of the heavier girl was interrupted evenly by her mumbling at a juicy strip of meat. Her hunger, it was clear, had not yet been satisfied, and it was as clear, too, that her companion had yet an appetite. The slender one was, seemingly, not much interested in the conversation, but the other chattered on. It was plain that she was a most contented being. She was symmetrical only from the point of view of admirers of the heavily built. She had very broad hips and muscular arms, and was somewhat squat of structure. It is hesitatingly to be admitted of this young lady that, sturdy and prepossessing, from a practical point of view, as she might be to the average food-winning caveman, she lacked a certain something which would, to the observant, place her at once in good society. She was an exceedingly hairy young woman. She wore the usual covering of skins, but she would have been well draped in moderately temperate weather had the covering been absent. Either for fashion's sake or comfort, not much weight of foreign texture in addition to her own hirsute, and to a certain extent graceful natural garb, was needed. She was a female Esau of the time, just a great, good-hearted, strong and honest cave-girl, of the subordinate and obedient class which began thousands of years before did history, one who recognised in the girl who stood beside her a stronger and dominating spirit, and who had been received as a trusted friend and willing assistant. It is so to-day, even among the creatures which are said to have no souls, the dogs especially." but the girl had strength and a certain quick animal intelligence. She was the daughter of a caveman living not far from the home of Old Hilltop, and her name was Moonface. Her countenance was so broad and beaming that the appellation had suggested itself in her jolly childhood. Very different from Moonface was the slender being who, having eaten a strip of meat, was now seeking diligently with a splinter for the marrow in the fragment of bone her father had tossed toward her. Her father was Hilltop, the veteran of the immediate region and the hero of the day, and she was called Lightfoot, a name she had gained early, for not in all the country round about was another who could pass over the surface of the earth with greater swiftness than could she. And it was upon Lightfoot that Ab was looking. The young woman would have been fair to look upon, or at least fascinating, to the most world-wearied and listless man of the present day. She stood there easily and gracefully, her arms and part of her breast above, and her legs from about the knees below, showing clearly from beneath her covering of skins. Her deep brown hair, knotted back with a string of the tough inner bark of some tree, hung upon the middle of her flat, insetting back. She was not quite like any of the other girls about her. Her eyes were larger and softer, and there was more reflection and variety of expression in them. Her limbs were quite as long as those of any of her companions, and the fingers and toes, though slenderer, were quite as suggestive of quick and strong grasping capabilities. But there was, with all the proof of springiness and litheness, a certain rounding out. The strip of hair upon her legs below the knees was slight and silken, as was also that upon her arms. Yet, undoubted leader in society as her appearance indicated, quite aside from her father's standing, there was in her face, with all its loftiness of air, a certain blithesomeness which was almost at variance with conditions. She was a most lovable young woman, there could be no question about that, and Ab had, as he looked upon her for the first time, felt the fact from head to heel. He thought of her as like the leopard tree-cat, most graceful creature of the wood, so trim was she, and full of elasticity, and thought of her too, as he looked in her intelligent face, as higher in another way. He was somewhat awed, but he was courageous. He had, so far in life, but sought to get what he wanted whenever it was in sight. Now he was nonplussed. Presently Lightfoot raised her eyes, and they met those of Ab. The young people looked at each other steadily for a moment, and then the glance of the girl was turned away. 
but meanwhile the man had recovered himself. He had been eating, absent-mindedly, a well-cooked portion of a great steak of the mammoth's choicest part. He now tore it in twain and watched the girl intently. She raised her eyes again, and he tossed her a half of the smoking flesh. She saw the movement, caught the food deftly in one hand as it reached her, and looked at Ab and laughed. There was no mock modesty. She began eating the choice morsel contentedly. The two were, in a manner, now made formally acquainted. The young man did not, on the instant, pursue his seeming advantage, the result of an impulsive bravery requiring a greater effort on his part than the courage he had shown in conflict with many a beast of the forest. He did not talk to the young woman, but he thought to himself, while his blood bubbled in his veins, that he would find her again, that he would find her in the wood. She did not look at him more, for her people were clustering about her, and this was a great occasion. Ab was recalled to himself by a hoarse exclamation. Oak was looking at him fiercely. There was no other sound, but the young man stood gazing fixedly at the place where the girl had just been lost amid the group about her, and Ab knew instinctively, as men have learned to know so well in all the years, from the feeling which comes to them at such a time, that he had a rival, that Oak also had seen and loved this slender creature of the hillside. There was a division of the mammoth flesh and hide and tusks. Ab struggled manfully for a portion of one of the tusks, which he wanted for old Mock's carving, and won it at last, the elders deciding that he and Oak had fought well enough upon the cliff to entitle them to a part of the honour of the spoil, and Oak opposing nothing done by Ab, though his looks were glowering. Then, as the sun passed toward the west, all the people separated to take the dangerous paths towards their homes. Ab and Oak journeyed away together. Ab was jubilant, though doubtful, while the face of Oak was dark. The heart of neither was light within him. End of chapter 16